We would like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Preborn. When a mother meets her baby on an ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine connection. And the majority of the time, she will choose life. But she can't do it without our help. Preborn needs us, the pro-life community, to come alongside her. One ultrasound is just $28. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby or visit preborn.com. Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Jenna, first, good morning. Great to be with you, the queen of talk radio in America. The left does not want to honor our freedoms, and we have a responsibility to fight back. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. Fill that void with a vision that runs so deep that it dilutes the woke agenda. Well, thank you, Jenna. Right from the beginning, I knew you, so it's an honor to be with you, and you're doing really well. Proud of you. Former legal counsel to President Trump. Jenna Ellis. Good morning. And we are praying for everyone affected by the absolutely tragic shooting uh, last night, late last night in Maine. Uh, There are reports still coming out and not a lot of things confirmed as of this morning. The police have identified the suspect, but according to the latest reports, as we are live this morning, uh, that suspect is still at large. So this is the ABC News report on that Lewiston shooting. Let's play cut one. This morning, a mass shooting tragedy unfolding in Maine's second largest city. Police in Lewiston responding to shootings in at least two locations. There are multiple scenes in the city to include multiple hospitals. It's a lot of witnesses worth speaking with. Police identified Robert Card as a person of interest. Authorities say he has a history of military service, is a firearms instructor, and was treated at a mental health facility over the summer after allegedly saying that he was hearing voices. If people see him, they should not approach Card or make contact with him in any way. Police were looking for Card overnight, triggering a shelter-in-place order in Lewiston and neighboring Lisbon, Maine, where police say they found this white Subaru they were looking for throughout the night, the car seen with the door open and lights on. Police as far south as New Hampshire setting up roadblocks. The first call came in around 7 o'clock from a bowling alley that was hosting a youth night for a kid's bowling league. One witness says she heard a loud bang before her father, a retired cop, corralled her and her family into a corner. She was grazed by a bullet um, while we were running. I never thought I'd grow up and get a bullet in my leg. And it's just like, like, why? Like, why do people do this? The second shooting scene, a local restaurant, is about four miles from the bowling alley. Authorities did not reveal a motive overnight. The ATF is among the agencies responding. Authorities say before being treated at that mental health facility over the summer, Robert Card threatened to carry out a shooting at a National Guard facility in Saco, Maine. Meanwhile, a local newspaper spoke to the owner of one of the shooting scenes, a restaurant. She says people were playing cornhole when shots rang out. Up to 16 victims were reportedly found at that restaurant. So a lot still going on this morning, and this is what the public safety commissioner said in the on the basic details in a press conference late last night. This is cut to. Uh, that approximately 6.56 this evening, uh, a couple of shooting incidents occurred here with multiple casualties in the city of Lewiston. And police are currently searching for a Robert R. Card, 4-4 of 1983 of Bowdoin, 
Card is considered armed and dangerous. He is a person of interest, however, and that's what we'll uh, label him at uh, moving forward until that changes. If people see him, they should not approach Card or make contact with him in any way. Uh, the shelter in place order that currently stands in Lewiston remains. Uh, a vehicle, which was a vehicle of interest in this incident, was located in Lisbon, and we are now also asking residents in Lisbon to shelter in place. So a lot of people are immediately comparing this to the Las Vegas uh, shooting and questioning whether there are any motives or ties to uh, any uh, terrorist groups or anything going on in Israel and Hamas. Obviously, those details are entirely speculative, and we are praying for everyone. Um, and as I was looking online on, on social media and some of the immediate uh, response, of course, the Democrats almost immediately blamed uh, Senator Susan Collins, who apparently had voted against more restrictions on AR-15s. And this seems to be the left's uh, pivot, and they can't even let any of this, uh, even the dust settle from these types of tragedies and focus on the fact that um, this individual apparently shouldn't have even been uh, having access to firearms to begin with, had mental health uh, concerns. And so what good does it do to restrict uh, the possession of firearms from law-abiding citizens when clearly someone with an absolutely terrible evil motive is going to get access when he shouldn't have had access to this gun anyway. And so the political considerations here I think are totally uh, ridiculous and inappropriate um, in terms of uh, just the sheer aftermath of all of this. But we know that that's what the left always goes to because they never let a good crisis go to waste. So, um, so of course, we as conservatives need to respond in a number of ways, which uh, first and foremost is to pray for everyone affected, the victims' families, and of course, um, those who were injured in this shooting. Uh, there are still not uh, confirmed numbers. Um, we need to pray that this suspect is taken into custody as soon as possible and that the police can figure out some of those details. And then we also do need to assess uh, the system. I mean, clearly there were elements of, of a breakdown here because if, if this individual was known to have some mental health issues, was known uh, to have these type of proclivities, then, you know, what should be the response in terms of policy? We know that the law doesn't punish people pre-crime, but we do need to, as a society, determine uh, how we can possibly prevent uh, these types of tragedies from occurring from people who uh, clearly had issues that were known well before these instances. And the goal, in my opinion, is to not restrict all law-abiding citizens from being able to exercise all of our constitutionally protected rights. Um, and this is where some then go for red flag laws. Um, in, in my opinion, and I have a piece that I wrote years ago in the Washington Examiner that's still up that's talking about red red flag laws and the constitutionality. And the problem with those is that they tend to, and I've never seen a red flag law that I think is constitutionally viable in this sense. Um, it forecloses and restricts individual rights and then makes that person prove that they are capable of exercising their rights. That's an inverse um, element of due process. We always, due process requires that there is a uh, a standard of proof and that the government or the plaintiff in this in a civil case has to prove 
um, beyond that standard of proof, whether it's preponderance, whether it's beyond a reasonable doubt, whatever it is, uh, they have to prove that the individual's rights uh, should be restricted, that they're civilly liable or that they are uh, criminally liable or, or whatever um, the outcome of that proceeding is first before the individual ultimately has any of their rights restricted in a criminal context gen- uh most often that is liberty restrictions. That's why people go to jail. Um, in civil liability, there can be other restrictions and certainly um, financial restitution, some of those things. And in the context of a red flag law proceeding, uh, typically the individual's access to firearms will be foreclosed first and then they have the burden of proof to show the court that they are able to legally possess a firearm. They should not have that burden. The individual has all constitutionally protected rights vested in them that the government or the prosecutor or the plaintiff has to prove and always has that burden. Of course, you know, the burden can shift in some civil liability context and that's that gets into finer points of law. But in general, when you're talking about restricting rights, we should never do that as a society. When you have some of these absolutely heinous crimes, we need to look at what happened on an individual basis and determine policy that is narrowly tailored enough that it's not so overbroad as to capture the the individuals that are law-abiding. And we know from all of the NRA members that are across the nation, from the hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of law-abiding gun owners in the United States, you have one instance that captures the national attention because it's so heinous, it's so evil, that someone used... Um, a gun in this instance, but we look back on uh, that parade that uh, that happened, um, and, and I'm forgetting the the location where that uh, that suspect uh, went into a parade and ran down people with his car. I mean, and that was the car was used in that instance as the deadly weapon. Are we now going to restrict people and have them have to prove why uh, they should have the right to drive? Um, in, in a broader context, we don't do that. But the Democrats and the left always prefers that the government tells you first when, where, how, and why you can exercise your rights instead of restricting it only on a case-by-case basis after due process. So even in the wake of these absolutely heinous, evil events, we as conservatives still need to hold that line of saying that just because one person commits an evil, nationally recognized atrocity, That doesn't mean that we then allow the government to foreclose every law-abiding citizen's rights. So we need to to make sure that our response is consistent with the U.S. Constitution, with due process, and with our fundamentally constitutionally protected rights. Um, So turning now to the other top story of yesterday, Representative Mike Johnson of Louisiana is finally the Speaker of the House. After about three weeks, we finally have a speaker, and it actually went very quickly yesterday. Um, I was very glad for that, and um, I I have told my audience uh, from the very beginning, and actually as soon as we vacated the speaker, I told all of you, and I put on social media that Mike Johnson was my personal pick, and certainly I think Jim Jordan, um, Byron Donalds, others from the Republican conference would have been great speakers. I think it's great that we have a deep bench of competent leadership. Um, I supported uh, Jim Jordan in his bid. Uh, But ultimately, I think that Mike Johnson was genuinely the best pick for speaker. And here's why. 
He has been in leadership in the Republican conference for years. He is not polarizing. He is a stalwart conservative who has spent his career advocating for religious liberty, for the Constitution. He understands the Constitution. He is um, an attorney. He practiced in constitutional law uh, for decades before his public service in the U.S. House of Representatives. But he gets this. He gets that Congress is a team sport. And he was the first person to articulate it that way to me years ago when I first met him, when I first started working for President Trump. Actually, the first day I worked for President Trump, um, I met Mike Johnson, uh, actually aboard Air Force One. We were going to a rally in Louisiana, and the entire Louisiana delegation was on board. And um, and I met Steve Scalise. I met um, Senator Kennedy uh, and uh, Jeff Landry, who was the uh, former attorney general, now governor of Louisiana, and also Mike Johnson. Um, some great, great people, conservatives, people. People I consider friends um, who've taught me a lot about the inner workings of this process. And one of the things that uh, Mike Johnson has continued to reiterate is that Congress is a team sport. And because of that, uh, he recognizes what it takes to not ever sacrifice your principles, but also understand what it takes to build coalitions. When we have so many people that are such firebrand conservatives, that makes it very difficult to work with the moderates in the Republican conference. And unfortunately, the United States House of Representatives in terms of the Republican majority is not like here in the state of Florida and my um, my now home state that, that has a, a super majority of great Republicans. And so they can do basically whatever they want and they can pursue Governor DeSantis's agenda. That isn't reflected at the national level, the U.S. House of Representatives. And so it's going to take someone that is well-respected across the board, that is not polarizing, understands and has been in leadership, can lead, and also wants to do the job of an administrator. There are so many jobs that I would not want that, that, are, that involve a lot of things that I just wouldn't want to do day in and day out. I love uh, what I do and I love being um, on media. People have asked me, you know, would you want to run for elected office? I don't want to do that because I don't actually want to do the job that that particular elected office that people ask me if I want to run for actually requires. And a lot of people, I think, in the United States, particularly in the young conservative movement, think of the job of governing as a conservative firebrand and media commentator. That's not how we should look at statesmen. That's not how we should look at elected office. We should look at, especially the Speaker of the House, as a leader at a nationally recognized figure, yes, but not as someone who is bombastic and polarizing. And you know, you think of somebody like, like a Matt Gates, for example, who is great at what he does. But would he, and he didn't run, so I'm just using his, him as an example, would he want the administrative day in and day out tasks of a Speaker of the House? Well, Mike Johnson does, and I am very, very excited uh, for his speakership because I think he will do a fantastic job of the leadership that that position requires. So we will be right back to talk about that in more detail when we get back here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. If you're like most of us, 
you're paying way too much for health care. That's why I want to tell you about a ministry that has been meeting the health care needs of hundreds of thousands of Christians, and that's Christian Healthcare Ministries, chministries.org. Christian Healthcare Ministries is cost sharing made easy. For over 40 years, this unique model has allowed believers to choose their own doctors without worrying about networks or waiting periods, since they are not insurance, but a faith-based alternative to insurance. Members not only get advantages from the affordability, flexibility, and reliability of CHM, but they also receive access to 24-7 telehealth services at no additional cost. It's no surprise that doctors across the country appreciate working with CHM, and so will you. It all starts with a visit to chministries.org slash AFR. That's chministries.org slash AFR. Christian Healthcare Ministries is the longest serving health share ministry serving all 50 states. Share the good news with a friend too. chministries.com slash AFR. Make the switch today with any time enrollment. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. We hear you. We know the challenges you're facing. We, we know that... Uh, that there's a lot going on in our country, domestically and abroad, and we are ready to get to work again to solve those problems, and we will. Our mission here is to serve you well, to restore the people's faith in this house, in this great and essential institution. That was new Speaker of the House, Representative Mike Johnson of Louisiana, who also said, quote, I believe that scripture in the Bible is very clear that God is the one that raised up each of you and God has allowed us to be brought here to this specific moment in time. And amen to that. And I just love that we have a Republican Speaker of the House that was willing to openly get on his knees with other uh, members of the Republican conference and pray on the floor of the House of Representatives. And that picture is going viral as of yesterday. Um, and it's super fantastic. And so joining me now is our good friend, Representative Jim Jordan, uh, to talk about the speaker race. And Jim Jordan, I have to say congratulations to everyone in the Republican conference for finally selecting a speaker. Yeah. I know a lot of people yeah. were polling for you and are um, very disappointed it's not you. Um, but I know that you and Mike Johnson are very good friends. And and uh, so what yeah. what is your um, outlook on this speakership and moving forward the business of Congress? Well, Mike, Mike is a good man, a Christian man, uh, and, and frankly, a good friend. You know, Mike and Kelly and, and Polly and I were in Israel together a few years ago. We've, we've worked together on the, on the Judiciary Committee. Um, he is the right guy for the right time, and I think he'll do an outstanding job as our, uh, as our new speaker. And more importantly, do an outstanding job for the country, for the for the American people, as he talked about in his uh, in his remarks in front of the body and, and to the country uh, yesterday. So, what now are the are the priorities? Obviously, we only have about three weeks um, to determine uh, whether there is a continuing resolution or uh, you know any of any of that that's resolved in terms of not. Uh, looking forward to a, a government shutdown. I think some conservatives would say we don't really mind if the government is shut down for a little bit, but we saw that over the last three weeks, and um, it actually wasn't a great thing. So what, um, in your mind and in speaking with our new speaker, um, are the priorities for the Republican majority? Well, you, you're right. The, 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 the temporary bill that funds the government runs out in, in three weeks. Uh, I think the strategy that makes sense, uh, we, we talked about this over the last several weeks with, uh, with the conference, is to pass a longer-term funding bill, uh, what's typically called a continuing resolution, but, but kick it in long-term into next year because there's already a provision in law that was passed during the debt ceiling agreement which says 
if we get to April 30th of next year and we haven't done the appropriation bills, there's a triggered 1% cut that happens across the board. And I happen to believe that that, that cut, that potential cut, will will be the incentive we need to actually do the individual bills like we're supposed to, like we're required to under, you know, under the, under the rules, under the law, pass those pass those 12 appropriation bills. And, and when you go in bill by bill, you have a much better chance to get the kind of policy in there that I think would be good for the country, like the, the kind of things we need to do on the border to secure the border and other important policy questions that come there. Plus, it's just better to handle each bill individually instead of one big, ugly, omnibus spending package that gets typically gets thrown on our desk um, you know, on Christmas Eve. So that's what I hope we end, we end up doing there with, with that. And then there's some other important pieces of legislation we've got to deal with that aren't directly related to the appropriations process. And I'm speaking with Congressman Jim Jordan uh, from the great state of Ohio. And, um, sir, what does this do in terms of reviving the impeachment inquiry as well? Because a lot of conservatives were uh, very excited that that process had finally started. Um, That was obviously put on hold a little bit. So in terms of that, the weaponization of government uh, committees and some of the things that you're working on. Well, we we haven't missed a beat there. Um, You know, some of the public things slowed down, but... We've we've done we've done three depositions this week. Um, uh, we 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 deposed uh, some some of the U.S. attorneys involved in the in, in the Hunter Biden investigation are not really involved because you know, the ones David Weiss tried to partner with. Um, uh, and we we talked to the U.S. attorney from Pittsburgh who was the clearinghouse for all information coming in on Ukraine and Hunter Biden. Um, so we've had some very productive I think interviews with these individuals this week. Of course, uh, Speaker Johnson was a member of both the Judiciary Committee and the Weaponization Committee. So he understands the importance of the work we're doing, and I think he'll be uh, continue to be real supportive of us getting the facts and the truth for the American people. That's 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 our job. That's that's part of our constitutional duty is to do oversight and get those facts for the country. So um, we're confident that Michael, be uh, uh, the speaker, will be, be be strongly supportive of what we've been doing already. I think he will, too. And of course, um, I first met uh, Representative Mike Johnson and you as well, um, ahead of the first impeachment of then President Mm -hmm. Trump. And I know um, how much both of you, um, among others in uh, the Republican Party, worked very hard on that defense. Um, There is so much that's so important here for the American people. And so in terms of just the speaker's position, um, if you can, with respect to Kevin McCarthy, I mean, I think, um, you know, he gets a lot of of flack. He wasn't my first choice at all for speaker, but, um, you know, but he he is a good man. And and I think, though, Mm -hmm. contrasting that the leadership style and the respect in terms of the full uh, Republican conference. Um, how do you see the leadership styles differ and what can we expect, in your opinion, from a Speaker Mike Johnson in terms of uh, these more specific priorities that you're describing? Well, well, both are hard workers, uh, no doubt about that. Um, uh, Mike, I think, alluded to his style yesterday in his, in his comments in, in front of the House when he said he wants to empower a committee chairman, he wants to work with the entire um, uh, Congress, both Republicans and where we can find some common ground with, with Democrats. So I, I think I think that's, that's a, a, a proper approach to the job. Um, and then, you know, there's the other aspects of the, of the, of the, the other responsibilities you have as speaker uh, on the, you know, you're, the, you're in many ways the primary spokesman for the Republicans uh, in the House, uh, of course. There's, there's the political side, there's the fundraising side, there's all those things that I think Mike will, will rise to the occasion and do a great job there as well. But um, Mike's a hard worker. Every every big hearing we had, he would come prepared. Plus, he chaired the subcommittee on the Constitution, an important subcommittee, as you know, 
and had some great hearings where getting good, important information out for the American people. Um, so I think his background is just tremendous. Skilled lawyer, argued cases in front of the Supreme Court, good political background, and just a solid Christian individual. Yeah, and, and I think that uh, being a stalwart Christian is, um, to me, the the best part of this and knowing his character. I mean, it would have been the same if, if you had been elected speaker, just knowing um, the depth of the commitment to the Constitution, um, to the conservative agenda, the right priorities for the American people, and first and foremost, to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I mean, that is um, an amazing thing to have well in the role of a speaker. And um, so I think we're, we're all, in terms of um, everyone at the AFR family, are very grateful uh, for this selection and, um, and and so you mentioned that uh, that there are these these new priorities and in terms of uh, working with the Democrats though and I think what's interesting about Mike Johnson in particular is that he is well respected even across the aisle I mean people may not agree with him but in terms of his background and leadership um, how do you see that working to the advantage now of the Republican conference that may not have worked out as well? And we saw with some of the concessions that, that frankly, conservatives weren't happy about uh, with Kevin McCarthy's speakership. Well, he's I mean, first of all, I think Mike is well respected because he's he's a good guy. He's just a good guy. And everyone knows that. Um, so I think just just polite, good person that goes a long way in, in, in politics. It goes a long way in life. I mean, that's, that's it's, it's, you know, uh, behaving the way the good Lord wants us to. Um, so Mike has that. He has a work ethic. And then, of course, he's a smart, accomplished lawyer. As I said, he's argued cases in front of the Supreme Court. So he, people, there's, there's just that respect there because of those qualities that he has. Um, and then he's just, you know, he's, he's going to work hard for the American people. Uh, he's going to do what he said he was going to do in his in his speech yesterday which i think is um which is refreshing and, and just just good to see from from uh, an elected official Absolutely. And I'm speaking with Congressman Jim Jordan. And you also mentioned, uh, sir, the fundraising aspect of all of this. And I think a lot of people um, have been concerned over the last several weeks um, during the speaker battle uh, that some of this may hurt uh, the the House in terms of the majority going into 2024. And so is that a concern? And has, um, has that been talked about in terms of the Republican conference and the ability to fundraise and for um, Representative Johnson, Speaker Johnson, now in particular, uh, going out and helping those races and holding on to the Republican majority in 2024? Well, it's important, and certainly was discussed. But again, I think Mike rises to the occasion. Uh, You know, no one raises as much money as the speaker. But when you become the speaker, then you you get in there and go. And Mike's going to do that. So, um, you know, and there's there's a whole bunch of us in the conference who I think are going to be helpful uh, in that regard. But, um, uh, I think Mike, you know, like with any other task, once you have it, you 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 got the goal, you got the objective, you put in the work, and you get it done. And that's that's I think the attitude Mike has, and that's the attitude that'll make him successful, and more importantly, make the conference, the Republican conference, successful. Which is, I believe, if we're successful, uh, that helps us push back on the left and where they want to go with the country. And I think that's good for the American people. That's great. And in um, about the last five minutes I have with you, um, Congressman Jim Jordan, and I so appreciate um, all of the time that you spend with us. And I know our AFR family absolutely loves and respects you. And thank you for the work that you do on Capitol Hill every day. Um, what is your perspective on Israel and the ongoing war and um, contrasting this? There, there are a lot of people that support 
um, America supporting Israel when they haven't supported all of the funding that has gone to Ukraine, for example, um, but want to see now with uh, the the U.S. House of Representatives getting back to work um, some of the support that can be provided to Israel. What's your perspective on that? Well, Israel's our our dear and close ally. We should we I mean dearest and closest ally. We should we should help them. Um, we should make sure they have the time, space, and resources to do the job um, to to go kill these these evil terrorists who who did these terrible things um, and and to secure their 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 country. Um, that that is just paramount importance, and and it's why the, we passed the resolution yesterday showing our support. I think that Speaker Johnson is going to. Um, quickly bring up the supplemental funding for Israel. I think that should be separate and apart from um, from any any funding for Ukraine. And and the key issue with Ukraine is we know the the goal with Israel is they they want to go kill the bad guys, the evil guys who did this stuff. Um, with Ukraine, we still don't know the the overall objective because is it is it to drive the Russians? What Russia did is wrong. We all know that. But is it, is it to drive Russia out of eastern Ukraine? Is it to drive Russia out of Crimea, which they took nine years ago during the Obama administration? Have held ever since. It, what's the objective? And then, of course, how do you me- how do you measure and account for all the money we've already sent there? Uh, we need some kind of inspector general in place. And so I've been clear about this. Tell me the tell me the goal, and and let's make sure we know where the money's going before we send any more there. I think that's a different situation than what we have with our with our dear and closest ally, uh, the state of Israel. I think that's really well said, and and especially considering how much money has gone to Ukraine and the questions surrounding uh, that and what you're investigating in terms of um, what's what's known on social media as the Biden crime family, which, um, you know, I think that that moniker is, is accurate. Um, but in terms of the uh, of how Israel is our closest ally um, on on Wednesday, yesterday, um, even a, a Florida Democrat had called for Representative um, Rashida Tlaib to be censured after her pro-Hamas comments. Um, what would you support that in terms of of how um, Rashida Tlaib has been so openly, um, in my view, not just pro-Hamas but pro-terrorism? Well, that is that is troubling. Uh, I'm I'm always reluctant to, to go after colleagues until I see what's in the what's in the resolution. What I think someone's got one to have a look at the resolution. What I do know is Hamas is an evil terrorist organization. They need to be stopped. We should help Israel uh, do everything they can to stop them. We should support our our our, our great friend, the state of Israel. Um, and and I, I think that from a geo, geopolitical sense, but frankly, from from a from a you know as as a Christian, I think there's uh, a scriptural reasons uh, that that makes so much sense there as well. So. Um, that's what I'm for, is helping Israel all the way. And I have to look at the, the resolution on what it, what it may say about our, our colleague. And and that's a totally uh, fair thing. You ra- rather than you know Nancy Pelosi saying um, let's just pass it and then read it, you know. <laughs> and so uh, that yeah. seems to be more of the the Democrat posture. But um, Representative Jim Jordan, so what is next for you then, and what should um, all of the American people expect from your committees? Well, we're going to continue to dig into um, the the way David Weiss handled this, the unusual way. We learned more important facts that will be coming out today uh, on on the way um, they conducted the investigation uh, into Hunter Biden, the ongoing investigation. As we know, we have David Weiss coming in for an interview uh, in two weeks on November 7th. So um, that that's another big hearing. We had a key player in the, in the investigation yesterday in front of us for a deposition or an interview. And then, uh, as I said, some of the U.S. attorneys we've talked to, Mr. Graves, Mr. Estrada, and then Mr. Brady, who was the U.S. attorney in, in the Western District of Pennsylvania, who was charged with kind of 
being the clearinghouse for all information related to Hunter Biden and Ukraine. And uh, we had a very important um, question and answer period with him earlier this week. So we'll continue to do that work and then the work of the Judiciary Committee and the Weaponization Committee. We continue to look at these agencies and how they've been turned on the American people. And that work will continue as well. And we fully support uh, your work there and really appreciate your time uh, today. And always, uh, Representative Jim Jordan, thanks so much uh, for your time. Really appreciate it. All right. Thanks so much. And thank you so much. And um, I would just echo the the congressman's comments uh, in terms of the leadership and uh, the the Christian basis of uh, Mike Johnson, um, as as Representative Jim Jordan said, he is just a good man. And um, you know, Mike Johnson has been someone um, that, as I as I said earlier, I've known um, personally for years. And um, I've actually said for years that um, he's the person on the Hill that I would trust the most to not only um, give me accurate information, to have the right priorities, to understand uh, the constitutional basis, but to actually pursue a just and constitutional agenda on Capitol Hill instead of just playing politics. Um, I think he will hold to the fidelity of the U.S. Constitution and um, all of these priorities. It's um, it's a very difficult time in America and in geopolitics. And so I'm very much looking forward to the speakership of uh, now Speaker Mike Johnson. And I think we can look forward to good and better things from the Republican majority. So always appreciate our good friend Jim Jordan. And we will be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. I'd like to take a minute to have a heart-to-heart with you. If you're able, place your hand over your heart. Can you feel it? My strong heartbeat reminds me that I'm alive. See, it's the same for an unborn baby. Their heart begins to form at conception and at just three weeks is already beating. At five weeks, a baby's heartbeat can be heard on an ultrasound. That's where preborn steps in, rescuing 200 babies every day from abortion simply by providing a mother with a free ultrasound and allowing her to hear her child's heartbeat and see their perfectly formed body in the womb. By six weeks, eyes are forming. By 10 weeks, a baby is able to suck his or her thumb. Preborn needs our help to save these precious souls. For just $28, you could be the difference between the life or death of a baby. All gifts are tax deductible. To donate, just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby. Or donate securely at preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back, and we are talking about actually having a fantastic speaker in the U.S. House of Representatives. That, of course, is new speaker Mike Johnson from Louisiana. And, uh, you know, I have to say, well done to Matt Gates. Um, there were moments that I questioned and, uh, the process and the fact that they didn't have uh, someone just lined up. But as uh, Representative Bob Good, who joined us um, the day after, I think it was, here on Jenna Ellis in the morning, uh, after the speaker's seat was vacated and the ouster of former Speaker Kevin McCarthy, uh, Representative Good told me, you know, we're actually going to have a battle now and and a genuine election um, and a race for Speaker. And he was absolutely right. And so um, I think we landed on the right pick. Um, But this is Representative Tom Burchett from Tennessee District 2 on the process to vote for the Speaker in conference. This is cut three. Well, I mean, if you don't see God's hand in this, then you are not paying attention. 
we had the the vote, and then we had like six people, and then the, the bottom vote getter would would drop off. Well, we noticed an increase of these votes for other, and then we we got to check and we said, well, who are the other? And they said, well, the the rules have been changed. You can't tell who the other are, which is ridiculous because if the least vote getter were to fall off, then that person should have to fall off. A couple of the uh, people dropped off, Byron Donalds and Mark Green, and they said, I'm going with them, who is our, our, our speaker now. And they announced that. And McCarthy yells, you know, you can't do that. We, that's not the way to elect a speaker. I object. And we like, wow, the blinders are off now. We knew that he'd messed with the last three candidates. You know, he'd endorsed them all. But I mean, we asked who they were and 30, I'm sorry, 33 were for McCarthy and one was for Jim Jordan. And obviously, he's trying to make a move back in. And then they float this idea of a, a dual uh, government with him and Jim Jordan somehow. And, you know, that ain't going to happen. And then we asked for a roll call vote. So everybody had to vote on the record then. It wasn't an anonymous vote. And then, um, except for two people, I believe, they voted for Mike Johnson. So that was Representative Tim Burchett. I, I said Tom uh, previously, and, and I don't know why, because Tim is right there on uh, my spreadsheet. But uh, apologies to Representative Burchett there. Uh, but I want to bring in now my next guest, uh, Oren McIntyre from The Blaze. And um, Oren, you know, I, I just I love the fact that we have Speaker Mike Johnson. So what are your thoughts and reaction to this entire scope of the last three weeks of the race? Well, it's obviously been kind of a wild ride, and it's good to see that the Republicans are finally landing on somebody who does have a history, I think, of standing up in some difficult times. Of course, it's always hard to know if the Republicans are, are really going to bring the heat in certain situations, but it, it does seem like they've landed on somebody that uh, you know that, that is willing to push back in a way that they may not have been able to do previously. Yeah, so um, so I think that Matt Gates ended up being fully justified in what he's doing because we got a, I would say, 100% upgrade in uh, Mike Johnson. And, you know, no, no disrespect to Kevin McCarthy, but he certainly wasn't my first choice back in January. I said as much on this program. Um, so, so what do you think is going to be the political fallout of this uh, for Representative Gates in terms of really the, the Republican base that was happy to see him do that? Yeah, that's a really interesting question because, again, it feels like Gates is is better liked by the base than he is, of course, by the leadership. And then kind of the many people cast him as this bringer of division. They cast him as this guy who is trying to settle petty scores and then personal issues and those kind of things. He was he was downplayed by many people in the in the conservative commentariat that way as well. And seeing him secure a victory and secure something that I think a lot of, a lot of uh, pundits thought was not possible, certainly shifts what's going to go on. I think it only strengthens his standing, of course, with the base. And it all, a victory is always a, a powerful tool when it comes to then wielding more influence. And if Gates is able to kind of create this situation for himself, then I think that's going to only strengthen his ability to have, uh, you know, have a driving influence in the future when it comes to coalition building. 
Yeah. And I I was talking to um, a friend last night, and I think she said this perfectly, that, um, you know, Gates actually went against the establishment and was a one person. I mean, obviously, it took eight people to uh, and the entire Democrat conference who may be regretting their decision now, but which is an interesting question. But, you know, it, it took him actually standing up to the establishment and a lot of the the more right uh, Republicans talk about draining the swamp, fighting the establishment, you know, going against um, the corruption in Washington, you know, all of these, all of these things. But um, few actually are willing to fight the establishment in the way that Matt Gates did. And, um, and I think that 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 is going to be um, part of his record that he can uh, genuinely uh, run on for potentially other positions like people are speculating he might run uh, for governor of Florida um, once either Governor DeSantis leaves that role for um, the, the presidential nomination or um, you know stays in that role if he doesn't win and then ultimately um, is term limited uh, it, uh, at the end of his term. And so where do you think that that um, sits Matt Gates in terms of his ability to say, you know, look, I went against the establishment. And, and I think that's very popular in the state of Florida. Yeah, I think that's a really fascinating check, kind of gut check moment for Florida there, because it really obviously Ron DeSantis has moved Florida much further uh, right. It was a, a purple state trending blue. I've lived here for a very long time, and my whole life it's been moving that direction. And so with the events of COVID, the concentration of people moving down, the leadership of Ron DeSantis, uh, radically shifting kind of the, the playing field in that scenario, and to, to credit the Florida House also uh, for, for in many ways making much of those changes, uh, either way, Ron DeSantis is somebody who in, who came in almost a little bit of a blank slate, barely had uh, a lot, barely won that first election, and then has now secured a, a very strong following. So he can pass that torch. And Gates is somebody who is more controversial, I think, even so amongst amongst kind of leadership and established Republicans than DeSantis would be. So if Gates could acquire a position like the governorship of Florida, that would really say something about the direction that Florida has taken. Yeah, I agree with that. And I would um, I would be surprised, frankly, um, you know, if, if there was a large following immediately for um, for Gates in Florida in terms of the governor role. But, you know, I mean, we still have a long way to go and other things can happen. Certainly, um, you know, there's been speculation um, even as of a few years ago that Byron Donalds may be sort of the heir apparent uh, to the governorship in Florida. We have, you know, a few good people and that's going to be a very interesting um sort of race, especially depending on the Republican uh, GOP nomination in terms of uh, the power of passing the torch. And I think that would only increase if Governor DeSantis got uh, the nomination. Um, but it's it's going to be really fascinating. And so in terms of, you know, Florida politics in particular, um, as you mentioned, Orrin McIntyre, um, who's from The Blaze, uh, you know, I, I think that that is just one uh, highlight of how we do need to be looking at um, the various states and how a lot of the the politics are shifting and how that uh, plays into keeping the majority in the U.S. House of Representatives. Um, and, and I asked uh, Congressman Jim Jordan in the earlier segment um, this same question, and I'll ask you, um, what do you think a Speaker Mike Johnson's role uh, portends for keeping the Republican majority in uh, 2024? 
Again, a very good question because we know Kevin McCarthy, there was a lot of discontent with the lines he took, his inability to hold certain promises. He did follow through on some things like the release of, of some of the January 6th footage that, frankly, I didn't think he was going to hold to. So, so credit to him there. But I think there was in general an understanding that uh, that things just weren't getting done, that there wasn't enough resistance. And I'm not sure kind of where Mike Johnson is going to go. I mean, he is a guy, again, who's pushed back in in certain areas. Uh, It's almost surprising that he was able to kind of obtain this position, given some of the choices he made and some of the roles he took in in opposition to certain parts of the vote in January 6th. And so uh, very interesting that he, he he was willing to push back in that area and was still able to obtain this leadership position. So, again, that says something important but we're we're in a pretty difficult place right now the the mag you know maga supporters trump supporters they've been labeled enemies of the state by the fbi it's literally its own domestic terror designation that we you know as we found out from a recent uh, you know mainstream news piece there there are elements of the federal government that are specifically targeting republicans in a very militant way as you yourself, of course, know. And so that's really something that I would like to see a speaker address. That needs to be something that, would, that Republicans aren't just sweeping under the rug. This is a very serious breach of public trust and law and order. And something like that needs to go after uh, the, the agencies that are doing that in a very public way, I think, if they're going to hold the loyalty of the Republican base. And I think, and I'm going to make a, a prediction here, um, but just knowing uh, Congressman Mike Johnson, now Speaker Johnson, um, in terms of his fidelity to the Constitution and uh, wanting to build a good Republican coalition, I think we may see some very interesting endorsements uh, going into 2024 that we wouldn't have seen from a Speaker McCarthy who was more uh, in the establishment vein and which was... Um, a good fundraiser, absolutely. Um, I think he should get credit for that. Um, but but didn't endorse um, some of the, the good people who hadn't uh, really been part of um, the Republican uh, contingent, were, aren't really well known, but are just good people who are willing to stand up and say, hey, I want to participate in my government because we should be a government of the people, by the people, um, not just for the people. And so I think we're going to see some potentially interesting endorsements um, from Mike Johnson and um, and at least some, some help in terms of some candidates um, and in and, and some of the primaries as well and some of the fundraising. Um, so, you know, we'll see how, how that goes. Um, but I also in, you know, in, in the uh, last few minutes that I have with you here, um, Oren McIntyre, I also want to get to your article because this is a really fascinating piece um, that you published in Blaze Media. And the headline here is The Complete Failure of 1984. And of course, you're talking about George Orwell's novel. And um, what is your main contention here? And why is this so important for us to understand now, because I think there has been a lot of focus on uh, that particular book and, you know, wow, it was very prophetic um, and we're kind of living in 1984. But uh, what is your main argument here? Well, the really interesting thing in uh, 1984 is, like you said, it was prophetic. And in many ways, it did it describe, you know, things that we should be careful of, things that we should watch out from, from, more to, from, a, to, from a totalitarian government. However, it almost entirely failed to prevent any of those things. Like we said, it, you know, we are living in, in, in a time in which many of those things have been instituted. You know, the, There's a new feminist rewrite of 1984 called Julia. It's been authorized by Orwell's estate, and the mainstream media is already saying this is way better than the original book, and this, the, you know, this needs to replace the original book and all English curriculum. 
And the, the, the irony of that is insane because, of course, that book is about propaganda. And the main character's job is to update propaganda to the current popular narrative and change history. And they're literally saying we should do exactly the same thing. We should rewrite this warning about totalitarian propaganda to fit our current propaganda and insert it in and replace, you know, replace the original warning. And I think the reason that we're seeing kind of this failure of 1984 is that while it was a very prophetic book in many ways, it was mainly written to address kind of the excesses of really hard totalitarian regimes, things like Nazi Germany or the Soviet Union. But we live in a very different time, and the kind of control that our government is now exercising is a soft power. It's a power that is much different from the jackboots and, and the aggressive force shown in 1984. So we do live in an age of propaganda. We do live in an age of uh, constant observation. We do live in a, an age of government oppression, but we live in that age uh, where the technology and the social engineering and, and uh, everything has a softer, more therapeutic approach. It still has a totalitarian edge, but it comes with a nice doctor's coat on rather than with a you know, fascist uniform. Wow, that is fascinating. And I had not heard about uh, Julia, this new um, feminist update of 1984. And what you're talking about, Orrin McIntyre, makes perfect sense that they're fulfilling basically the prophecy of 1984 by providing the replacement propaganda that the original text uh, actually referred to. I mean, this is so typical of uh, of how propagandists and their narratives work. And um, so th this piece is really fascinating. It's called uh, The Complete Failure of 1984. And um, so in just pr the last two minutes I have with you here, um, what's what's the warning for us today as conservatives? Well, I think the big thing to understand is that because 1984 is the shared narrative by which Americans kind of understand totalitarian government, they have a hard time seeing those things reflected in the current government, because it kind of defines our collective vocabulary about what a oppressive government would look like. So we don't recognize some of the oppressive elements of the government around us. I think some alternative dystopian future books that do a better job of explaining the kind of tactics that our government deploys would be something like Brave New World by Aldous Huxley. Huxley's book is flawed, but he understood, again, that kind of soft therapeutic uh, nature that would come with the with our version of the totalitarian state. He knew that it would come with a chemical assistance. Soma is, of course, the, the famous drug from that book that pacifies mm -hmm. the masses. We could see something like that in, in a Netflix that keeps everybody inside during the pandemic while riots are going on. He recognized that sexuality and the sexual revolution would be a huge part of government's control in, in Brave New World. Everyone is sterilized. Uh, you know, there are, there are no families because everyone is genetically engineered. And, so and, instead, and we, we got to leave it. We got to leave it there, Oren. Um, and the piece is The Complete Failure of 1984. You can reach me, Jenna, at AFR.net. I'll be back tomorrow morning. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio. I want to thank my sponsors, Preborn and Christian Healthcare Ministries. Preborn Network Clinics have rescued over 200,000 babies from abortion, and every day they save 200 babies' lives. But they can't do it without our help. Will you head over to preborn.com AFR and sponsor an ultrasound? 
Christian Healthcare Ministries is the longest serving health cost sharing ministry, helping Christians pay for and pray for one another's medical bills. Make the switch today and start saving. Visit chministries.org slash AFR. That's chministries.org slash AFR.